Amen. Amen. Corporate adoration of Jesus. Man, doesn't get much better than that. Our uh, gospel reading, New Testament reading, we continue through the Gospel of John, chapter 4. We'll give our wonderful orchestra an opportunity to find their seats. I'm sure they've got their seat savers in their seats there where they're Sermon sheets uh, in their places. Uh, what a blessing our orchestra is. Thank you, orchestra, for another wonderful December of music. Man, praise the Lord. We're so thankful, so blessed. John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour. And we'll pick up that story next week. We all know what happens, but it's beautiful, isn't it? And so we'll pick up there next Sunday, Lord willing. Uh, And our sermon text is from Psalm 98. Psalm 98, a little short psalm, nine verses. We'll read all nine verses here. Psalm 98, verses one through nine. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness in the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. This is God's precious word. You can have a seat. If you're visiting with us, as we've already said, we welcome you. We're so glad you're with us on this fourth Sunday of Advent. For those of you who uh, weren't with us before the year 2010, Uh, You might not know, uh, I try to remember to share this in the membership class, but if you're visiting with us today, you you probably don't know that from 1994, our beginning to 2010, uh, I was a vocational pastor. I taught uh, elementary school PE at Lorraine Elementary School, except for two years. I took two years off, and Brother Brian Lingerfeld stepped in and uh, taught there. Remember those two years, Brian? Yes, okay. And then I came back so I could get to to the 25th year and, uh, and get my retirement and uh, start drawing a little pension there. So anyway, uh, 
During those years, the, the 94 to 2010 years, every now and then, if you remember, I would share with you what I called a Lorraine moment. They were just neat moments. Y'all see some heads nodding. There were some neat moments with kids. For example, give you an example. Um, this, is one, this is one of the highlights. It doesn't really have anything to do with the message, but I just want to get you in the flow of where I'm going with this, uh, with the Lorraine moment. Because uh, there's a second Lorraine moment that does apply. But I just had to share this with you. I shared it with the uh, elders and deacons at our Christmas party Friday night. But uh, uh, a little guy, second grader, name was Jerry Francis. Jerry Francis. And uh, we were sitting together. I think he was feeling bad or something. So he wasn't participating. He wasn't playing. He was sitting over there. And I, I was over there sitting with him on our little blue sofa there in the, in the Lorraine gym. And we got to talking. Uh, he knew I was a preacher. He knew I got to, we talked, I talked about church, and then the conversation moved to heaven and, and, uh, and God. And uh, he asked me, oh, pa- Pastor, I mean, he didn't call me Pastor, Coach Rumble. Coach Rumble, did you, do you think you'll, are you going to be in heaven? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm certain I'm going to be in heaven because of what Jesus has done. He said, well, I'm going to be in heaven too, and uh, uh, I, I want to find you. I want to I see you. I want to connect with you when, we, when we're together in heaven. Where do you think you be, you'll be? And I said, well, um, it'll probably be kind of crowded, but I, I, I want to be kind of close to Jesus. So if you, if you find Jesus, then hopefully you will be able to find me. And I could tell that kind of, and, and Jesus has a tendency to do that. It kind of, he'll, he'll, he'll set you back a little bit when you start thinking about the depth of that and the wonder of that. And he got to thinking and he responded by saying, well, I'll just meet you in the gym. Okay. So. <laughs> but I think on that, when I first shared that, I think I, 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 I moved into the fear of the Lord and how Jesus can strike fear into a person. Now, we want the healthy kind of fear as believers, okay? Uh, but there are going to be a lot of people when he returns at the second advent. That they're, going to have the, that they're going to have the wrong kind of fear, and, and rightly so, because that will be the end for them. And I hope you're not in that group. What a joy it would be to get saved at Christmas. If you're here today, and you're not sure what would happen when Jesus returns to you, sheep, goat, heaven, hell, only two choices. Well, today's the day of salvation. What a great time to get saved. The Sunday before Christmas. So I, I urge you, if you're not a Christian, receive Jesus today. Confess your sin and confess him as Lord. I'll never forget a sad Lorraine moment that happened one year in December. Um, you know, December was almost pretty much a wasted month at elementary school because kids are so excited, you know. And uh, the week before, the last week before the, uh, the break, uh, they did a poll. They did a, like a contest, you know. What's your favorite Christmas song? What's your favorite Christmas song? And so they, the, all week the kids voted. And then the favorite song was announced at the... Christmas assembly on the last day of school before Christmas break in the cafeteria. You remember those, don't you, Sherry? You remember those, okay? And guess what the Lorraine Elementary School favorite Christmas song was? 
It was rocking around the Christmas tree. Rocking around the Christmas tree. Now, in all my excitement about the soon-to-begin two-week break, you know, teachers got probably more excited than kids about that. But uh, at that moment, I was jolted back to the realization of the secular, God-ignoring, Jesus-belittling world in which we as believers live. And please know, please know, I don't, I don't, I don't blame the kids. I'm not blaming the kids. I love those kids at Lorraine. We had a, we had a good thing going there at Lorraine. Uh, I don't blame them at all. They're, they're children. They're children. If you had no other choices or you grew up in a home that never listened to biblical Christmas songs or, or you weren't really interested in theological lyrics, I mean, who wouldn't like rocking around the Christmas tree? Who wouldn't? Catchy tune. Rocking around, you know, easy to sing, easy to sing, etc. So on that day at Lorraine, many Christmases ago, as uh, the dressed up Santa danced around the cafeteria to the strains of you will get a sentimental feeling, blah, blah, blah. You know the song, okay? Uh, and those precious children were laughing and clapping and everything. I remember wondering at that very moment. How many of them really know what it's all about? How many understand why we celebrate? I mean, why we take two weeks off from school? Now, most people don't know why, okay? How many of those kids know or have been even introduced to the reason we sing lyrics like, Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Word of the Father now in flesh appearing. What a line, what a line. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. These are lyrics, brother and sister. These are words, man. Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. Oh, come, let us adore him. So at my public elementary school in the late 90s, Rocking around the Christmas tree beat all those songs. That's very sad, but not overly surprising, right? Not surprising at all. I mean, it's a public government school. And once again, very revealing about what the culture believes about Christmas. So I want to ask you, as believing parents, parents, do your kids know what the traditional Christmas hymns are saying. Have you ever gone through the, well, I mean, what a great family devotion just to open a hymnal and read through Joy to the World. Or Hark the Herald Angel Sings. Those lines are deep in theology. Do, do, they, do your kids, are your kids beginning to grasp or have they grasped, depending on what age they are and their mental capacity, what is being taught in those amazing, beautiful songs that have been handed down to us from our forefathers in the faith? Let's pray, dear church family. Let's pray with all of our hearts that our kids will know what Christmas is really about. 
and that they will love the glorious truth and truths that the Christmas hymns teach us. And when they're asked what their favorite Christmas song is, may our hearts well up with joy by their answer. Let's pray together, and we'll look at Psalm 98 tonight, today, this morning. Father, thank you, thank you for another Christmas together as a church family. Thank you for what you did at Christmas. And thank you for all the wonderful songs we have to tell us about it in music. We, we, we bless your name for that. We thank you. And may we not take that for granted. Thank you for the music ministry here at Rockdale Community. We pray you continue to bless and use those folks in our lives. We thank you. And now, God, as we look at Psalm 98, may our hearts well up in the new song that we've been called to sing for your glory and our good. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, in my gym at Lorraine, I always played music uh, while we were exercising or playing. I'm probably pretty sure Chad probably does that. Yes, amen. And uh, it was, I mean, it's a perfect tool. Instead of, you know, hollering, okay, everybody, let's go, or okay, everybody stop, because the kids are yelling and screaming, you know. Music was a perfect stop and go tool. You know, when the music starts, go, begin, whatever we're doing, okay? Or when the music stops, freeze, everybody, pay, look here, you know? So they were trained to do that. So we would, we would, play, this, it would play this music in the background of every uh, set of exercises, every activity, every game, whatever we were doing. And during December, Karen Malloy will tell you, she'll vouch for me, I always played Christmas music. And one of my favorite uh, pieces of P.E. background music was a rendition of Joy to the World. Man, it was a kicking rendition of Joy to the World. I can't remember the group. I looked for it this week in my pile of old CDs that I still got. I couldn't find it, but uh, I wish I could give the credit to the group. But anyway, it was a great rendition of Joy to the World. And I want to focus on that song today because the text we just read in Psalm 98 was Isaac Watts' motivation for writing joy to the world. And I want us to keep thinking about what it says, not only at Christmas, but throughout the whole year. As Scotty Smith said in a, in a recent prayer, uh, he said, whenever and however joy to the world got the label Christmas carol, we should ignore the label and love it, sing it, meditate upon it, linger in it, and live it year round. So Mr. Music Minister, in July, I want to be singing Joy to the World. And I want you to remember this. I want you to write this down and sing Joy to the World in the summertime, okay? All right, because I, I totally agree uh, with Scotty there. Okay, I, I mean, these lyrics never get old, do they? they? They never get old. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. And every heart preparing room and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. In other words, the curse has been destroyed. 
He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. And the curse is found everywhere, right? And this song teaches us that Jesus brings the blessings to every corner of the world where the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove. One day the nations will prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. Now that's a song. Those are some lyrics right there. Thank you, Brother Watts. Can't wait to thank you in person in heaven. And even though we normally only hear this song in December, it is definitely not a sing-only-at-Christmas song. Why? Because Jesus is king year-round. I'm praying right now for those who have not received him. May your heart, may God move on your heart and open up room, prepare room for him. God's got to do that. I'm asking God, even while I'm speaking right now, my mind is going, Lord, save those right now that are here and are not Christians. This is our year-round psalm because he brings joy to the world every moment of every day. He makes his blessings flow around the clock, just like the breath you just took. The glories of his righteousness are always evident to those who have had their blind eyes miraculously opened through the new birth. And the wonders of his love never fade. Nothing will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. As I said, Isaac Watts based this song on Psalm 98. And we will walk through this psalm together over the next two Sundays, this Sunday and next Sunday, under four headings or questions. Number one, what do Christians sing? Number two, how do Christians sing? Number three, why do Christians sing? And number four, when do Christians sing? Now, we'll, we will ponder the first two questions together this morning, and Lord willing, the last two next Sunday on the day after Christmas, okay, the, the last Sunday of this year. So first, a quick overview, a quick overview of Psalm 98. If you're looking at it, uh, you'll see that there's, you know, at every three verses, there's a gap. It's very uniform, very concise, three stanza psalm, three stanzas, three verses each. Stanza number one, verses one to three, are directed to Israel. You see that in verse three. And the first stanza presents God as Savior because we see the word salvation in each of the first three verses. So three times we read the word salvation pointing to the Lord as Savior and directed to Israel. In stanza two, verses four through six, the call to worship expands as these three verses are directed to all the earth. We see that in verse four. And in this stanza, God is presented as king in verse six. So he's presented as savior in the first stanza, and the Lord is presented as king in the second stanza. 
Then stanza number three, verses seven through nine, is directed to nature or the cosmos, okay? The universe in verses seven and eight and presents God as judge in verse nine. And we will primarily focus on this portion of the psalm next week, okay? The coming judge, okay? So Savior, stanza one, King, stanza two, Judge, stanza three. We see three presentations of who this Lord is that we're singing about. So let's corporately ponder this psalm together this morning. Let's consider now the questions that this psalm answers. Question number one, what do Christians sing? What do Christians sing? Well, verse one makes it very clear. They sing a new song. They sing a new song. Well, what new song? What does that mean? Well, let's talk about what that means. Let's think about what that means. We sing a new song of joy. We sing a new song of victory. We sing a new song of adoration. We sing a new song of freedom. We've been set free. The shackles of sin have been destroyed. We sing a new song of hope. Even in the midst of chaos and turmoil and challenge and heartbreak, how we need that song to be sung loudly and clearly in this day in which we live. Because the king has come, because the wonderful counselor and prince of peace has come, because Emmanuel is here with us, we have hope. Always, never failing hope, undiminishing hope, ever strengthening hope, a living hope. Hope, as we saw in our study of 1 Peter. Hope that does not disappoint because our sins have been washed away and we have been forgiven. So the new song is not talking about a specific song. It's talking about a new melody of life. Listen to Romans 5 verses 1 to 5. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Man, that's a new song, isn't it? When your life can be singing... Again, not talking about a specific song, but just a, 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 an expression, a constant expression of joy and trust and hope and confidence in the Savior that stanza one presents, the King that stanza two presents, and the coming judge that stanza three presents. We make a difference in our surroundings when people see that. Not only do we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing, continuing in Romans 5, that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. 
This new song that dominates our lives means no more negative songs. And again, I'm not talking about specific songs. So don't be racking your brain trying to think, what song is he talking about? No, I'm talking about a general presentation of your reborn life to a world that desperately needs to see the light of Christ in you. So this new song of hope means no more negative songs. No more pessimistic songs. No more depressing songs. No more hateful songs. No more hopeless songs. No more selfish songs. And again, not only are we not talking about a specific song with specific lyrics, we're not talking about, I'm not even talking about specific music genres per se. You know, categories of songs, you know, country, raw, you know, you know all the categories, you know what I'm talking about, right? Genres, okay. We are talking about the overarching and undergirding melody of our lives. Let, let me try to illustrate what I'm talking about. As some of you know, I, 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 enjoy, I enjoy 60s music. That's the music I grew up on in, in school. Like back in public schools weren't so bad, you know. Um, and that's when I met my wife, when I met precious Amy. And I just love, I enjoy, love might be too strong, I enjoy 60s music. Now, becoming a Christian... In 1980, after being a lost church member for around 15 years, didn't eliminate that or remove that from what I listened to in the car. But 60s music doesn't dominate or control my life. Are you with me? You understand what I'm saying? Jesus controls my life. That's what I want. Sometimes I get out of that. And he jerks me back, and I repent, confess, and, but Jesus controls my life. Not 60s music, not any kind of music, not anything secular or worldly. I confess him as Lord. His growing lordship over my life is the song that floods my soul, not 60s music. Does that make any sense? Does that make sense? Let me try to say it another way. Don't get from this point of what song do we sing? What do we sing? What do Christians sing? Don't get from this point an incorrect emphasis. I am not in any way exhorting you to remove from your listening habits any particular type of music. That is between you and your Lord. I remember having a similar discussion like this when Donna was a teenager. The focus here is not on any particular type of music. Now, obviously, there's music that professing Christians should not be listening to. Profane music. Music that degrades people. Music that promotes sinful lifestyles. Okay? My point this morning is not to push the spiritual songs only mindset. I'm not even condemning rocking around the Christmas tree. 
What I'm trying to say very feebly is this. Jesus makes all things new. He gives us a new way of thinking. He gives us new priorities. And yes, he gives us a new song. And that newness grows in us over time. We call it, the Bible calls it sanctification. And when Jesus takes over our life, songs like Joy to the World move up on our list of preferred songs and songs like Rocking Around the Christmas Tree move down. Are you with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm trying to walk the line. I don't want to be legalistic. I totally trust the Holy Spirit in you to help you with your music life. So becoming a Christian doesn't necessarily eliminate secular Christmas songs. Man, roast those chestnuts over the fire. And let Jack Frost nip at your nose. Okay? God created Frost. But it does demote them in the rankings of importance. Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you hear what I'm trying to say? I hope I'm making sense to you. May the Lord give us insight. As, as Paul said to his, his uh, son in the faith, Timothy, I think in 2 Timothy 2.7, he said, think over what I say and the Lord will give you insight in this. And may the new song he gave us at salvation grow louder and more clear and more dominant in our life. And may we sing it with more intensity and purpose as his spirit fills us. Amen. Okay, next question, number two. How do Christians sing? How do Christians sing? Well, the second stanza makes it clear. We're to sing with joyful voices. Verse 4, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Man, I'm so glad it said noise. Because some of you, see, nobody ever sits close to me anymore because they hear me sing. But anyway, uh, I'm so glad it said noise. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth. Break forth. We're going to study that word in a minute. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. The phrase break forth at the end of verse 4 indicates exuberance. Exuberance. So we're to sing joyfully. We're to sing exuberantly. The Greek word there speaks of intensity and energy. The Dictionary of Biblical Languages Gives these meanings of the Greek, to break forth, to burst forth, i.e. have an activity begin or start with a focus on great zeal and extensive energy. I'm thinking about now about those precious PE students waiting for that music to start. Don't you can't, don't you remember that? Was, I would always I would pretend like I was starting it and I'd make them go back to the starting line. Okay. But they were rep. I mean, they were going to break forth. As a figurative extension of a mass bursting forth 
from too much pressure. Thinking about, think about blowing up a balloon until it pops. That's what we're talking about here. This new song is bursting forth from our hearts. It can't be contained. It wells up in our soul and seeks to burst forth from the outlet that is our mouth. There's no holding it back. Consider these alternate translations of verse 4 from the Lexham English Bible. Shout joyfully to Yahweh, all the earth. Be cheerful and sing for joy and sing praises. Be cheerful and sing for joy. Or the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Shout to the Lord, all the earth. Be jubilant. Shout for joy and sing. Or the New English translation, shout out praises to the Lord, all the earth. Break out in a joyful shout and sing. If you've been through Psalms, and and probably most of you have, you'll see this exuberant, celebrative, enthusiastic, uninhibited praise often in the Psalter. I encourage you to read through the Psalms and in the coming year and take note of those places and let's ask the Lord to intensify our exuberance in how we sing here's a couple of unique thoughts on music from our old buddy Martin Luther I have no use for cranks who despise music because it is a gift of God music drives away the devil and makes people joyful They forget thereby all wrath, unchastity, arrogance, and the like. Next, after theology, I give to music the highest place and the greatest honor. Now, you may have a different opinion. You can disagree with that, argue with that. That's just an opinion of a man. But I'm I'm using it because we're focusing on music this morning. And that's what Martin Luther thought about it. His second one I like even better A person who does not regard music as a marvelous creation of God must be a clodhopper indeed. (laughs) He should be permitted to hear nothing but the braying of donkeys and the grunting of hogs. I changed the word to donkey there in that quote because we've already signed the other word once. (laughs) Uh, Martin Luther used the other word. Okay, John, John Wesley said this. John Wesley said this, sing lustily. And with good courage, beware of singing as if you were half dead or asleep, but lift up your voice with strength. Yes, dear church, let's lift up our voices with strength when we sing. Please don't sing as if you were half dead or asleep. And that begins with not being half dead or asleep. Okay? And I'm not going to tell you who I'm looking at. Okay. I'll close this point with Psalm 47. Psalm 47 verses 1 to 7. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us 
and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout. The Lord, with the sound of a trumpet, sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises, for God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. So, beloved, may we always be a church that loves to sing praises to our great God. And a church that loves to sing loudly and strongly and and intensely and intentionally and purposefully and exuberantly. May we break forth. May it be bursting from our heart. That's where it begins. The heart is where it begins. And why? Why do we want to be a church like this? Because Jesus has come at Christmas to save us from sin and death and hell. We will not have to face the wrath of God, which we so richly deserved. He has rescued us from the clutches of Satan and given us new life and a new song to go with that new life. And he is with us. He is with us. He is here in total reality. And he will never leave us nor forsake us. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Have you ever noticed that? The Lord is come. You think it should say the Lord has come because the first coming, the first advent, the incarnation was 2,000 years ago. It was in the past. But the verbs, the, the song says the Lord is come. Note the isness of his coming. His coming is a present tense reality. It's not that he was with his people only when he walked the earth in human flesh. No, no. He came to earth at Christmas and is with us now by the precious and empowering Holy Spirit. His Spirit fills our hearts and unites us with him and with each other and makes us one body. Also, he is ruling and reigning over the earth right now as he sits at the right hand of God. He is already king of kings and Lord of lords. Even if it it doesn't look like it or feel like it. Again, have you confessed that? If not, today is the day. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. Today's the day. Joy to the world. The Savior reigns. And one day his reign will be fully manifested. And every eye will see him. And every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that he is the Lord. And the new heavens and the new earth will be filled with his presence and glory. Listen to Revelation 21, beginning at verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there as Scotty Smith says 
Our joy will be greater then, but no more certain than it is right now. How can we keep from singing? Yes, church. How can we? How can we keep from singing? How can we not sing of the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love? Okay, we will consider more of the why we sing and, the, and then we'll get into the when we sing next Sunday. Lord willing, if I'm live, I'll be here and we'll do it, okay? But I want to close with this from a, a, a new author I've discovered this year. I've, I've mentioned him to several of you. Some of you have already uh, bought his books, uh, but uh, Glenn Scrivener, uh, excellent author. Uh, I highly recommend if you want to kind of go through the highlights of the Bible in a year, he's got a two-volume set called uh, 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 Reading Between the Lines. Uh, Old Testament gets you through the end of June pretty much, and then the New Testament gets you to the end of the year. And uh, I'm just finishing that one up. I'm reading the, the Christmas readings right now. So highly recommend that. But he's got a little booklet called Four Kinds of Christmas. And in that booklet, he wrote this. And I want to leave you with this this morning. Christmas time sees airports crammed full of tearful reunions. People pay thousands and cross oceans just to be with one another. Why? Because love bears the cost to draw near. And Jesus bore the cost to draw near to us. At Christmas, God the Son became God our brother. Because love pays any price to be with the beloved. Imagine you were at the airport waiting for your own Christmas reunion. Your successful older brother is flying in from New York. He's been living there for the last 10 years while you've struggled on at home. Dad died six months ago and mom's been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. You're out of work. And the debts are piling up. He approaches with more bags than you expected. And with tears, he says, I'm back for good now. We'll get through this. Dear church family, this is the meaning of Christmas. Jesus did not merely pay us a visit in the stable. God the Son became our elder brother. He joined himself to our family in all its poverty. And he pledged his life to us forevermore. When you see Jesus in the manger, you're seeing a promise. He is committing himself to our race and to our plight. In the stable, the Christmas child, though speechless, is speaking volumes. Essentially, he's saying, I'm here now. I've come to shoulder your burdens, just like Isaiah promised. Dear church family, how can we keep from singing? Let's pray together. Oh, Father, thank you so much for Christmas. Thank you for sending our elder brother home to shoulder our burdens, to take our sin upon himself, die on a cross and pay the price we could have never paid. 
Help us to sing the new song that you've given us. May it burst forth from our once dead hearts with great joy and great gratitude. Thank you for Christmas. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.